This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 367. I would go to these open houses and I would just notice different lighting pieces that they had and different design elements that I really liked. And I thought, maybe I can do to a house what I used to do to a cake. I'm basically taking a blank canvas and turning it into something beautiful. And that got me really excited. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with another incredible episode alongside my co-host, Mr. David Green. What's up, David Green? What's new in your world? Well, let's see. Bad news is I hurt my shoulder lifting weights. That's been a bummer. Was that I've a, never was really that a had it happen. Man, I was lifting so much weight and I just couldn't. <laughs> Probably more like if I was strong, my body could handle what I'm asking it to <laughs> okay. do. Instead, it's like so weak and frail. That it, Owie, that hurt, it hurts so much. Yeah. Uh, so like, I, I have, I feel like a bird with a broken wing. I'm like walking around with my right arm. I can't lift it mm. up at all. Um, but you just cracked me up cause we tried to record <laughs> a, uh, sample of the intro here and Brandon forgot his yeah. name. He got to the point where he had, this uh, is, and he totally blinked. Yeah. Funniest it's thing. Like I've done these shows like 366 times before today. <laughs> or said your name a few yeah. times in your life. Rough, rough. All right. Well, with that. Well, the good news is we have a fantastic yeah, show much today. Better we than just this got done. Oh yeah. Trust me. If you can make it through this, you're going to be very happy. Just deal with Brandon for the time being. You get through it. Today's guest is a house flipper from Arizona. She uh, is, oh man, how would you describe it? She's got a blue collar attitude, but a white collar level of success. She gives some incredibly detailed advice and help for how to do what she's doing. She's really come from like what we say, humble beginnings. Like yeah. I just remember listening to her thinking, dude, anyone can do this. This is why yeah, real she was like so a cool. pastry chef and then worked retail and then decided to flip houses. And, and she had mentioned to us before the show, we didn't actually talk about this too deep in the thing, but she like seven X her income just in like mm-hmm. uh, two years of flipping houses now. And she's also getting her rentals and she has this great story, but she got less of her story uh, about like how she made it $92,000 on this flip. There's this flip she did made 92 grand and like, a ton of other real estate investors had walked through that flip first and decided that they couldn't make any money from doing it. She walks through exactly how her mind works to be able to pull out 92 grand in profit. It's amazing, this story. So you're going to love that. That's a little bit later in the show. So that and a lot of other good tips are coming up when we get into the interview. But before we do, let's get to today's quick tip. Quick tip. Will you take it? So t- today's quick tip is go to biggerpockets.com slash webinar and sign up for webinars. So I am now doing them. Brandon Turner has done them for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's taught me everything he ever everything. knew about webinars. <laughs> and I am now equipped to go forward in his stead <laughs> and continuing oh, the education. I'm still doing them too. This is not my stead. Jeez, Jeez David. Uh, well, I was hoping if I said that, you would just have to let me do them all the time now. Not quite like sure. He hasn't taught me everything he has, he has to know. He's trying to fire me on air. This is great. We've just had a coup de gras <laughs> live right here on Bigger Pockets. No, it's just kidding. But we are bringing different perspectives, yes. right? So, so Brandon and me and the different people who host webinars, they all have a different way of looking at things. And what we at Bigger Pockets want is for you to find the personality yep. or the perspective that matches best with yourself. Because like we talk about in today's 
episode, experience makes money, taking action is required to get experience and confidence is required to take action. And we're trying to give you the knowledge that you need to be confident. So go there, sign up for my webinar, start attending them, uh, sign up for the other people who use webinars you want to learn from. There's all kinds of different topics, all kinds of stuff we're teaching you. So if you love the podcast, if you can't get enough of it, if Thursday's your favorite day of the week, and then you spend all the rest of the days crying because you can't hear (laughs) and see Brandon's face and voice, then go sign up for webinars and, and get yourself some food to eat during the week. Wow. Very good. Good job, David Green. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Now, without any more delay or chit-chat or talking or uh, I don't know what other verbs, synonyms for chatting there is, let's get to today's show. Kara, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. It is awesome to finally have you here on the show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun today. So we are going to go through your story and I know you've got a pretty fantastic story. You know, we met in person here, I think with that BPCon, right? And yeah, then, yeah, in Nashville. Yeah, awesome. that was awesome. And uh, I got to know a little bit about you, but I didn't get that much to know about you. So that didn't really make sense, but I didn't get to know as much as I wanted. So today we're going to pick your brain, find out how you became as awesome as you are today and uh, how you get to do such awesome looking rehabs because I've seen your Instagram. It is awesome. So with that, what did you do before real estate? And then and kind of walk us through, how did you get into the idea of doing real estate investing? So my background is not in real estate whatsoever. So I've always had a really strong entrepreneurial spirit. So as long as I can remember, I've wanted to have my own business. 
I didn't necessarily know what that business would be. I just know that I didn't want to work for someone else. Sure. So when I was 14 years old, my parents said, if you want a car when you're 16, you're going to have to work for it. We're not paying for your car. We're not putting money towards it. So thankfully, they, they gave me a heads up. So when I was 15, I got a job at a bakery and I worked as much as I could being 15 years old. So I would go to the bakery and work after school. I would work most all weekends and just constantly saving up for this car. And when I turned 16 years old, I think it was that day or just a few days after I bought a car. And I thought this is, it was so exciting to be able to buy a car at that age. And I noticed much later on in life how big of a lesson that really was. Um, simply, I mean, we, we think of saving, but it really is the art of saving money is so beneficial and having such a strong work ethic really helped me going into real estate. So I'm in high school and I still don't know what I want to do. And my mom would decorate a lot of our cakes growing up. And so I would start helping her do the decorating. And I thought this would be really cool to own my own wedding cake shop. So I went to culinary school right after high school and I was saving money to eventually open up my own bakery or a wedding cake shop. And this started when the real estate market started to go down. So I would work at a restaurant for a few years. I would work at another restaurant for a few years and they were constantly closing. And I thought, wow, this isn't good. (laughs) And it was also very repetitive. You're making hundreds of the same dessert every night. And it was kind of taking the fun creativity out of it. So I ended up being a baking instructor at a retail cooking store. So now I'm kind of in retail. And then I found myself full-fledged in retail. And years are going by and I'm still saving. I'm still just, I have a habit of saving money. So years go by and I think, I, I started to become interested in real estate by looking at open houses. And I would go to these open houses and and I would just notice different lighting lighting pieces that they had and different design elements that I really liked. And I thought, maybe I can do to a house what I used to do to a cake. I'm basically taking a blank canvas and turning it into something beautiful. And that got me really excited. So my mom was a real estate agent and I started looking on Zillow and sending her listings. And I thought, I'm going to take all of this money that I saved and this will be my down payment on a house. So- How much did you save up by then? By then I had saved up almost $100,000. Wow, that's awesome. And this is years, this is years and years of saving. So I thought this will be my down payment and also funding the rehab. Because I knew I had to put 20% down. It was going to be an investor loan. So- I don't even remember how many offers we put in before someone finally accepted my offer. And it didn't matter. You know, I knew that we I was going to get rejected. It's the name of the game. So someone accepts my offer and it was $50,000 below ask. And it happened to be a probate sale. I found it on Zillow. And I walk into this house and it was the worst house in a great neighborhood, which is what you always want. Sure. But whoever lived in the house was in a wheelchair and the hallway was not wide enough for her wheelchair. So the drywall was completely gouged (laughs) 
and cabinets were literally falling off the kitchen. And I don't really, see, I see it, but I'm seeing ev- all of the potential. And I'm so excited about this house. I'm, I'm looking at the arches and the size of the kitchen and just so much potential. And I don't remember ever being scared. I don't remember being nervous. It was just so much excitement to finally have this project to work on. So I interviewed different contractors and it was a full gut remodel. And from start to finish, I had that project for three months, sold in 10 days. And I thought, wow, wow that was really easy. And everyone was saying, Kara, it is not this easy. It's not <laughs> this easy. And I thought, well, that was pretty awesome. And I'm still working at my re- retail job. So I did another flip and it was harder. And, but I, but I do have to say on that first flip, I made just under what I made in an entire year at my retail job. Oh, that's cool. So why I didn't leave then, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's dig so, into this first deal a little yeah. bit. I, I want to know just a little bit more about it. So first of all, you got it on Zillow. You found the lead on Zillow. And so you started, you know, you put the offer in, you got it accepted. You jumped in there. Now, how, did, did you have like rehab experience at this point? Were you doing the work yourself? Did you hire that out? Or how did that work from there? No. So I had no experience. So I always, I like to say it's okay to not know what you're doing, but it's not okay to use that as an excuse. So I really did just interview people, interview contractors. I went with someone who I felt comfortable using and um, I did the full design and I would purchase all of the materials. But other than that, I, I wasn't really involved in the construction as I am now. So I'm much more hands-on now. Okay. And did you, I guess, how did you find good contractors in that and not get ripped off your first time? Like a lot of people are very worried about that. Their first deal. Was that just luck? I think it was luck the first time. Again, I interviewed three. I, even to this day, I'll get a few different quotes. I have some contractors that are my go-tos, but I'm still getting quotes to make sure they're not overcharging me for different things. And I kind of went with my gut feeling on that one, on the first one. And he worked out for a few houses and and now I'm sure. using a different contractor. Okay. Which by the way, there's nothing wrong with it all. In fact, when you do this for a while, you just accept, I'm not going to find a contractor and ride that same horse for the next 20 years. You're always looking for the next contractor and the next wholesaler. Things change so much in business. The people that, that were working well have problems with their family or they get really good at their job and now they don't want to work with investors anymore. So for anyone who gets discouraged by, Oh, I thought I had a good person and now I don't that care. I'm sure you can attest that is constant. It's like you never just find a deal source and you just go back to that place and Oh, there's another deal. You're always looking for new ones. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Something that I really loved about what you said, Kara, was that you took skills that you built previously in life and you applied them to real estate. And I think just in general, I'm very passionate about that. And I feel that more people would benefit if they would look at what they're doing well right now in life and improve it so that when they get to real estate investing, whatever they'd rather do, they're prepared instead of saying, well, I hate my job, so I'm not going to try. I'll wait till I get a job that I like. Because you mentioned, I think like three different things. One was saving money, built more skills than just having money. You built discipline. You learned to say no. You learned to live frugally. You learned to look for the value in something as opposed to just, well, that's the easiest one. So let me go by that. Because when you're saving money, you're always looking to save. You took your skills from cake making and you applied those to real estate uh, design 
I mean, I think that's brilliant. And that is now my excuse for why I don't have an eye for design. I'm just like, well, I wasn't classically <laughs> trained in how to do cake. make pastries. <laughs> yeah, make cakes. So that's why I don't know what I'm doing because I've seen your work and it is extremely impressive. You are very, very good at that. And to think that you learned to do it from the skills that you built with something as, I don't want to say simple, but maybe basic as a cake, it's not as complex. It's, that's so encouraging for everybody else who maybe, oh, I just work at a bank underwriting deals. How could I ever be an investor? Well, that's a freaking skill that, right. that works really well when you get into investing. So work on sharpening it. And then you also mentioned that you didn't like the uncertainty of working for someone else because these restaurants kept closing. And so that created this drive in you that, no, I want to learn how to provide for myself so that I'm betting on me and not other people. And every one of us that's listening to this has similar experiences in life that if we take the attitude you took, we can have a similar result. Right. Yeah. And, and going back to saving money, real estate investing is like a financial roller coaster. So if you do not know how to manage your money going into this, if you sell a house and you have a huge check, if you don't know how to budget that money, it, it's going to be a tough ride. So before you get started, I really think saving money and learning how to budget is so important in this in this industry. Do you have any tips for people uh, who are struggling with that? Because a lot of people listening right now are saying, well, you know, Kara, I make $3,000 a month and I spend $3,000 a month. So what am I going to do? I'm, you know, this is just where I'm at. I would start writing down what you're spending your money on. I think even simple things go so fast. So you're spending $5 here, $3 there. It adds up at the end of the month. So just by writing down what you're spending your money on, I'm sure there's budget apps too. You'll start to spend less because of that. You'll see where your money's going. Yeah, that's smart. And then also don't buy something if you can't afford it. You know, we have credit cards. And so it's so easy to put something on your credit card and think, oh, I'll pay it later. But if you cannot pay off your credit card at the end of the month, you have to cut back. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing just by, like you said, write it down. It's such a good tip. Like when I was really struggling with debt back when I was like in my early 20s and I was spending way more than I was earning, like just the act of writing down and knowing where my money was going instantly made me save like uh, like almost $2,000 a month difference of what I was spending versus not. And like, I didn't even have to get all weird about it. And like, I mean, I got weird about it. We got like envelopes and stuff and gave ourselves a budget, but like, I didn't have to like go and like eat out of a trash can or anything weird like that. It was just knowing where my money was going. I didn't notice a lifestyle change. I didn't have to drive a worse car or anything. It was just knowing where it was going is amazing. So anyway, that would be yeah, my advice as well. And of course we have an entire podcast, like an, an entire show, uh, multiple episodes, whatever. I don't know, up to hundred episodes now of bigger pockets money. So if people are listening to this and they're like at that phase of their life where they're like, how do I save more money? How do I make more money? The bigger pockets money podcast is an awesome show with Scott and Mindy. So definitely check that out. Now, Kara, from here, you're, you're talking about, you saved money for the first deal. You made some money on it. You took that profit and you went and bought a Maserati, right? Or what, 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 what was your plan with the profit on that first deal? So I didn't take any money out of that profit. I turned, I saved all of that profit, turned it into another house. So I, and to this day, that's what I do. So I still haven't really pulled out any of my profits. They're constantly being compounded. And after that house, I did another flip. And then I thought, okay, I really want to do this full time. I'm enjoying this. I love it. But I was so scared to quit that steady paycheck. I'd been working since I was 15 and a lot of times working two to three jobs at the same time. So that was a true fear of mine. So I thought, okay, before I leave this steady paycheck, I want to get a rental property. So I have some form of cash flow coming in. So by word of mouth, I was able to purchase a off-market 
rental property near our one of our biggest universities. So that's been a great rental. However, I was supposed to finish renovations on that during the summer and it went, my renovations went past the start of the school. So that was vacant for about four months. Ooh, okay. So that was not fun. Um, and then ever since then, I've we've gotten on track with the school year, but it was nice that I was still working full time because I was able to afford those mortgage payments. So I'm really happy that I started doing this working full time because I was able to basically use my day job to fund my side hustle at this point. Yeah. So that, that was pretty big for me. And I was also able to qualify for mortgages because I was working full time. So that helped a lot. So now I have a rental property and then on my third flip, but my fourth property, I thought if I'm going to do this full time, I need to learn more about construction. So this house was really pivotal for me. I hired all subcontractors to teach me how to do everything. So my electrician taught me how to wire can lights, switch out all of the receptacles, GFCIs, demoed I was involved throughout the whole demo, ripping out toilets, kitchen sinks, um, painted that entire house, removed popcorn ceilings, you name it, I was doing this. And I would go to work with paint on the top of my hair (laughs) and drywall on my arms because I was at my project for so long, like every day I was there a little bit longer. And then I would go work full time after that. So This project, uh, as you can imagine, took a long time. It took much longer than hiring a general contractor. And I was still nervous to jump into this full time. So I started applying to different jobs that were a little bit more in the industry. I applied for a job at a tile showroom and I didn't get that job. I applied to work for a local builder who, it was a very entry level design position. And I didn't get a call back. He simply said, no, you don't have enough experience. And ironically enough, we actually have a house. I have a house on the market now and he's finishing up a build just catty corner. So I know he's going to use my comp, which is really funny. But I kept getting the all of these no's. And at this point, I've been at my retail job for almost five years without a single raise, no raise at all. And rather than taking all of these no's and getting turned down and rather than looking at that as people putting their worth or, you know, telling me what I'm worth, it almost motivated me. It motivated me more to, okay, I just have to do this. So with a huge leap of faith, quit my day job, finished this house. And I made the least amount of profit on this house, but I learned the most. I learned so many lessons on this house. What, I'm I'm curious, like, you know, this, I, I love the idea that you wanted to learn how the, the construction side worked and you wanted to get in there. Uh, are you glad now you did that because you learned all those skills? Like, well, how does that benefit you? And for those people listening, how would it benefit them to learn just the basics of how construction works? Oh my gosh, it was huge. It was absolutely huge for me. And then going into the next project, I learned, I took a lot of skills that I learned and applied them to the next project. I, I just can't even stress enough how important it is to know, even have just a general knowledge of what your contractors are doing. Anytime I leave a job site, I make it a habit to ask subcontractors a question. Like, And so you're walking away with an education. So even if you can't work at a job site full time, it's so important to ask questions. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really good. People ask me this a lot. They'll say, how much do I have to learn about this part of investing? Appraisals, construction is obviously a big one. That comes up a lot. Number crunching. And what I usually tell them is you only have to learn as much as you personally need to feel confident. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who just, you know what, I have the basic gist of it, I'm good. Then focus on the thing that you're really good at or focus on getting the deal and you're good. But if you know personally, until you know inside and out what they're doing, you just won't take a step forward. Well, then that's how much you have to learn. And it sounds like for you, Carrie, that's kind of what it was is you got in there, you got your hands dirty, you learn how to wire some things. I, I would guess from what you've shared, you're a bit of a perfectionist that you like things done at a high level all the time. And so people that, that have that wiring need a little more insight and hands-on-ness with what's going on to feel comfortable. But once they feel comfortable, those are the ones that are the most successful because they have a high standard and they drive really hard. And that's what you did. And you've, you haven't said, I, I demanded that they pay me for teaching me something, right? Or I went in there and I said, I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to work for free. You jumped into the world that you were maybe obsessed with, isn't the right word, but very interested in that you wanted to learn more about. And you played around in there until you felt comfortable. And then boom, you started flipping houses. And it really can be that simple. It doesn't have to be something where everybody needs the same step-by-step thing to follow. Or I'll hear people say, do I need to get my real estate license? Do I need to get my general contractor's license? Like, I pro- hopefully you don't need that much reassurance that, that you can just like have someone show you how they wire a light and you're like, okay, I get it now. Right. And I think even just knowing small things, it builds your confidence along the way. Yeah, that's very true. And that confidence is what matters, right? Because when you feel confident, you will take action right. and taking action is what Brandon and I are constantly telling people, this is what's going to build your wealth. This is what's going to make you successful is taking action. Cause that's where you learn. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what happened next? And you see you're, you're, you quit the retail job, you jumped in full time, all smooth sailing from then on. What, what happened next? Oh my gosh. As soon as I quit my job. So now I'm, I have to get hard money. I can no yep. longer get these loans, obviously. So now I'm using one of the most expensive forms of getting money. So I get this house and it was built in 1955. And I think this is going to be great. It will be just an easy flip. And it was my hardest deal to date. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong on this property. And I, so, okay, so I have hard money. I have to pay this loan back in eight months. And I think, oh, this will be, this will be a piece of cake. Easy. (laughs) Easy. So we start doing demo. And one of the main things, I I think it was, might've even been the top line item on my contractor's bid was to pull a full remodel permit. So I think, okay, great. We have the permit pulled. I paid for it. And we're into the remodel just enough where the dumpsters are gone. We're starting new framing. And so we're, we're pretty into it. And then we get shut down by the city. Oh no. And my contractor calls me and he said, we got shut down. Something's wrong with our permits, but it's okay. We'll get it fixed. We'll get it all figured out. Four weeks go by and it's a stop work order. Nobody can be on the job and I'm paying hard money. So this is costing me a lot. And so now we're back on the job site and it turns out those permits were never pulled. And my contractor hits me with a $40,000 change order because now we have to redo concrete, redo framing, redo electrical, redo some plumbing. And he's saying, if you don't pay this $40,000 change order, I'm pulling everyone off your project. And I said, I'm not paying anything until you'll meet me at the house and we'll talk about this. 
So we meet at the house and basically there were a few change orders that the city added on like hard wiring, smoke detectors. So those kind of things. I said, yes, I'll pay for that. Absolutely. But a lot of this boils down to if we had had those permits in the beginning, none of this would have happened. We would have had inspectors on site and that was such a tough lesson to learn. So now I will either pull my own permits or now I, if I don't pull my own permits, I'll make sure that they were pulled on going on the city's website. Yeah. So now it's, we're, we're finally done with this remodel. There were a few other things that came up. They removed the wrong exterior wall. Oh. I walked on the top side as they're just finishing taking down some masonry. And I'm like, Oh, oh no. my gosh, no. we. <laughs> so they were just quite, that was a tough one. And now it's under contract. And the inspector for the potential buyer scares the new buyer by saying there might be a subterranean leak. And I did this polished concrete floor, this beautiful polished concrete floor. And the inspector is telling the buyer, yeah, you might have to rip all of this up in the hallway. And I'm thinking, why would, why would you say something like that? And it turned out it was a leak in one of the exterior landscaping valves. Oh no. And it just totally ruined the deal. And so a few weeks go by, it goes under contract again, and it closed two weeks shy of that eight month. I bet you were sweating. (laughs) Yes. What was the plan? If it didn't, if it didn't go, what were you going to do if you didn't get it done? You know what? That didn't even cross my mind. I just thought it has to (laughs) sell. It has to sell. Yeah. That was, that was such a tough house. And I just thought, well, I don't think any, any other project could be this hard. Yeah. There's so many things you can learn when you tell stories like this. I love listening to like these case studies. What you just had me thinking about is it was a success for you because you got it sold. It was a big win for the buyers of it because they got a great house. The losers were the people who backed out because their inspector told them you might have to rip out all of this beautiful floor because of a leak that had nothing to do with the house. It was from outside of the house. And it just had me thinking as an agent, this is why I'm bald because my hair's all been pulled out of my head. how many times that'll happen, right? Just if real estate agents that are not good, which is in my opinion, most of them will hear that and think, oh my God, we have to back out without ever thinking, well, what would we have to look into to find out why it's really leaking? They won't look deeper. They won't take more of an effort. They just feel the emotional fear of, oh my God, there's a leak. This could be a problem. And they run away as fast as they can, which left the deal wide open for the next buyer, but those people lost. And so the lesson to take from it is when you feel that fear, when you think, oh, there could be a problem, Don't just stop. Ask the inspector, well, how would we know why there it's leaking? Actually, I don't know. I just find leaks. Okay. Who do you know that would know? Right. And then you find the person who actually understands this stuff and they say, no, no, no. It's just a problem from outside. And you get a good agent who says, well, we're going to negotiate as if it's a problem with the house, but we're not going to worry about it because it's a problem from outside. We're going to get some money off of the, you know, what, what the seller is asking for, something like that. But just don't assume like worst case scenario and just that's it, right? Do a little bit more due diligence because that first buyer lost a really good deal over nothing. Right. Yeah. It's true. And I'm sure, Brandon, you've seen this all the time, right? I mean, we had a similar issue with your house in Hawaii that we were yeah. looking to buy with the loan issue, like you weren't yep. able to get the loan. And thank God you're not the kind of guy who goes, oh, guess the whole <laughs> thing can't work. My loan won't work. Just, well, what do I got to do to make it work? So yeah. that's, and Kara, I just noticed you, you have that energy about you that you are that kind of person. 
that, that doesn't say I can't do it. That says, well, what would I have to do to make it happen? And, and, and we stress that a lot because we see that so often from successful people that trade. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There was actually right with, on that topic, there was this house that a wholesaler brought to me and I didn't know how I was going to fund that house, but I knew it was such a good deal. And so I put it under contract and... Yeah, luckily I, I found the funds to, yeah, you just figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm such a big believer in the whole like jump out of the, the, the plane and build your parachute on the way down. <laughs> like, you're like, well, I got all these things here. I'll figure it out. I mean, that was kind of the, the premise of uh, the book uh, I wrote, the book on investing in real estate with no and low money down, the longest book title in history. It was like, here's all the pieces of the parachute. So at least you can jump and then you have the parachute pieces. You can put it together and hopefully you'll be all right. Because like, you, yeah. don't, you don't know until you jump, like what you're going to encounter. So uh, right. yeah. And I like that you pointed that out because oftentimes when I hear that, what I think is you're going to jump out of the plane and find the pieces on the way down and then assemble them. But that wasn't the yeah. case, right? You did your research. You had the parts yep. you needed. It just wasn't 100% there. Yeah. And uh, so on that note, Kara, I want to ask you that question, but you quit your job at that point, you know, before that deal and you jumped in. Do you feel mm-hmm. it was the right time to quit your job? Do you think you quit too early, too late? And then I'm just wondering, like, what kind of advice do you have for other people who are in that same spot where they're like, ah, I'm, I'm making some money in real estate or I, I, you know, I'm close. I'm not sure if I should quit or not. Like what kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah, I don't think it was, uh, I think it was a great time to quit my job because all of the experiences that I had had kind of helped me get to that point, even though that was the hardest house and I really couldn't have prepared myself more than literally just jumping in and figuring it out. And I think as long as you have a little bit of experience going into it, I wouldn't necessarily recommend quitting your job and trying to flip a house. I would get some experience under your belt and just know that every project is going to have its own set of difficulties. And you have to mentally prepare yourself for that because it's going to happen. And sometimes if I'm in a really tough project, I remind myself that this will come to an end Mm. and it, it always does. You know, eventually the house will sell or you'll get through the renovation. So yeah, but, but really you just have to do it. You just have to jump in sometimes and, and figure it out. Yeah. Brandon, do you find that you often have to have similar self-talk to get yourself through those emotional <laughs> spikes? Like this is going to end. It will be okay. Yeah. I may lose on this deal, but I, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you too. <laughs> oh, it's like, when you, I think when you're an entrepreneur, yeah, you have, first of all, you have entrepreneurial bipolarism. Yeah. Kara, can yeah. you relate to this where you <laughs> think like great. you, yeah, there's nothing I can't do. In fact, I'm going to go do this thing next. Yep. And like Elon Musk better be careful. Cause I'm on a roll. <laughs> and then literally the next day you're like, I can't show my face to the public. I'm such a sham. They're all going to see through me. I suck at everything. I should just beg for my job at the bank <laughs> back and see if, right. I will eat ham sandwiches out of the dumpster, like what Brandon was saying. And then two days later, you're like back in business. We got another one in contract. I'm a genius. And so that's, that's part of being an entrepreneur. It makes you feel crazy. Then you have like the schizophrenia where you're talking to yourself, like, Nope, you can do this. That's okay. Brandon says he, he messed up on a deal too. hang in there. This is going to end. You just learned something, right? Like, or Hey, don't think that you're a big deal. That can also happen. You'll get a house and like the ARV could be up to 800,000 and I was planning on 700,000. I'm going to make 150 grand on this deal, right? I should be teaching my own course. And you got to talk to yourself like, hang on. You don't know that's going to happen, right? It's not just me. You guys have the same issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So everybody who's listening. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Like keep that in mind that being an entrepreneur comes with a small degree of craziness associated with it. It's normal. Yeah. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your resident's living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. So Kara, let's go, let's go back to your story. So at this point now, you're, you're into the flipping thing full-time, you're, you're doing it. Did you ever go back and get another job again? Have you been, have you been full-time since? And then give us a time frame of how, how did all this happen? Yeah, I've been doing this full time now for two years. And so I have never looked back. And even my toughest days, I'm so, so thankful to be doing what I do. And yeah, no, I've, I've never looked back and I don't have a second job. This keeps me very busy. That's great. That's awesome. So you're flipping full time. Now, how many have you done now in the last two years then since then? Uh, Well, total, I've done 11 deals. Okay. uh, But but it's funny, I have an Instagram account too. And so when I started, right when I quit my job, ironically enough, my Instagram page started growing as well. So I've been taking on a lot of client projects as well. So I will help them with full house remodels, kitchen remodels, bathrooms. So that's, that's kept cool. me very busy too. Look at you, Joanna Gaines. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> 
I've actually lo- would love to do that someday. Like, I mean, I have no time for it right now, but man, I would love to like just work on other people's projects where like, I don't, I can do the fun part, the rehab and like guide the direction, but not lose money. Like have the risk. <laughs> like that sounds- That's what being an uncle feels like. Oh, there you go. I show up, I play with Rosie. She laughs, then she's in a bad mood and I give her back yeah. to you. And I'm like, here you that's go. A, you can that's have her. That's exactly it. All right. So you've done these now. You're obviously, I mean, you're, I'm sure you're making more than you were at your previous, at your previous job. And what's the future look like? I mean, where are you, where are you headed? Are you just going to do more and more flips in? Do you get into rentals, more rentals? Because you had the one, right? So I have three rentals now. Okay. So I do want to continue to grow my rentals. And uh, I still love the fix and flip model. I have a lot of fun with it. And so I want to do continue to do that, but also get more into multifamily as well. So the multifamily would definitely be buy and holds and just grow my rentals. So my goal for next year is to have seven additional rental properties. So a total of 10 by the end of next year. Okay. That's awesome. And now how, how are you finding deals to get your deal flow? You mentioned wholesalers earlier uh, and, a, and a Zillow one, but is what else are you doing? So I still find 90% of my deals on the MLS. Really? Where, where, what market yeah. by the way are you in? Oh, I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. So it's like a, it's a big market and you're still finding MLS deals. Like, yeah, it's uh, a big market. It's very competitive. What are you looking for? And well, I, I have my certain areas that I invest in. So the reason I like investing in specific areas, I can run the numbers really fast. I know what a good price per square foot to purchase in is. And then what I'm going to exit at as well. So I can just I, I know those areas so well. Six of my flips were in like about a three mile radius from one another. So I look for that. I look for ways that I can add value on a few different homes. I've purchased them as like a three bedroom home where I was able to convert it into a four bedroom. I did that also with a two bedroom home. I was able to add a third bedroom. So looking for opportunities that other people are missing and putting in offers. You never know what someone's going to accept. Yeah. You mind if I bring in an agent perspective into why I think this works in Scottsdale? Yeah. From the, from the like long distance perspective of where should you invest? This is working really good for you, Kara, because in Scottsdale, there is a big discrepancy between home prices. You could have a house that smells like cat and dog food that sells for 350,000. And in the same neighborhood, an upgraded one could sell for 525 to 550 because of where your price points are and you're dealing in a more affluent area, there is a very big discrepancy. People that have a lot of money will spend a lot more money or really borrow more money to buy a house that's already fixed up. Whereas if you're, you're dealing with houses that cost $60,000, maybe the spread would be between 60 and 70. It's very hard to make that profitable than you know, when you have six figures in between. So you can buy houses in the MLS when you have an eye for what you will do to add value. And that's exactly what you said, adding bedrooms, adding bathrooms. Obviously, you have a rehab background. So for people listening that would think, well, I can't invest in Scottsdale. It's too expensive. That's a good thing if you're looking to go in there and add value. If you're looking for a turnkey thing, that would probably be harder. It's going to be harder in those higher price points to just walk in and buy something and make money. You want to comment on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, for Scottsdale too, we have a really good Airbnb model. We have so many events going on and our weather is really nice in the winter. So we have a lot of great months where you can rent them out too. So having different exit strategies, I think is really important. So if for any reason, I'm not going to be able to flip the house, I kind of know in the back of my head, okay, if something goes wrong, I can always hold this property. Yep. I love that strategy. I mean, I, I make this comment a lot that I'm not afraid of a recession. I'm not afraid of not being able to flip a house correctly because the market changes, but I'm always 
preparing or asking myself, well, what if it does happen? What if a recession does happen in the next six months or it starts while I'm in the middle of this flip? And I want to make sure I have a couple options and Airbnb can be a fantastic way uh, to say, okay, well, if it doesn't sell or I can't get the right price. In fact, I got a condo that I'm working on out here in, in Maui that I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like the comps are like, since working on this project, the comps are low, like are dropping and that's not exciting. Like I'm like, oh man, like every, every time a new sale goes, it's a little bit less. And I'm like, there goes my profit every time. But I'm, I'm not worried because I'm like, okay, well, if it doesn't work, it's zoned for vacation rental. So I'll just vacation rental it for a while. And Right. get the profit again someday. So yeah, that exit strategy thing is smart. And I find Maui similar to a price Scottsdale where a little bit higher price point where like David, you said, there can be a little bit more spread there where there's a little bit more immersion, um, emotional, uh, ability. There should be a t- volatility. Yeah, emotional volatility. That's a good word for it. Where like, I mean, yeah, when I bought my house, you know, like when I bought my house, like it was like $1.7 million, oh, yeah. right? Would I have paid 1.8? Probably like, I mean, or 1.6, like it's all just a big number at some point. And I love the house <laughs> yet. If I was at like $60,000, would I pay 160 for a house? No way. Like that's a hundred thousand dollar difference yep. is crazy, but at the higher price points. Now I don't think Scottsdale's, you know, one and a half million for most of the houses you're doing. Are they, or we'll care what, what kind of price range are you in? No, I'm, I'm usually entering in the 400 thousands and exiting, I don't know, mid five, sometimes mid six, depending. Okay. I, I'm wondering what's the most difficult part today for you of flipping houses? Like, what do you struggle with the most? It's a really good question. I'm a good question asker. I've done this a few times. I, know. I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, wow, Brandon, <laughs> you, every once in a while, you just, well, I'm just thinking like, <laughs> come along yeah, and you know, totally redeem well, yourself. Some people are like, they have like these, you know, what's really, really difficult for you or just one thing that just weighs heavy on your soul. You're like, Oh, I just don't like doing that. It's something that I might be like, what's well, the best part. And for other yeah, people, it's like yeah. the opposite, you know? So I'm always curious of what, like, what, what do you just get a lot of joy out of? What do you just not enjoy doing? Well, I really enjoy a lot of it. So I think <laughs> probably, okay, I, I know what it is. I'm very picky on the deals it all takes. So I look at a lot of deals and I say no to a lot. I'll say yes to a few. So probably taking on more deals at a time. Like if I wasn't as picky, I might be able to do more deals. Okay. So that's the toughest part. But once I find a deal, it's, it's usually pretty good. I'm taking it on because... I think it could probably be a pretty quick rehab and yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, how how about this one? I'll expand on that a little bit. How big is on what you just said? How big is too big of a rehab? Like, would you do a $300,000 rehab where you have to go and spend 300 grand and, you know, spend nine months working on it? Or are you strictly paint carpet? Not right. Yeah. I I wouldn't take that on right now because I don't know necessarily what the, what the economy is going to do next year. So I'm doing more quick fix and flips. Um, but no, we've done rehabs where they are over a hundred thousand and additions and that type of thing. But yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And then finally, I- I'm wondering like, uh, in the future, like, do you plan on building more of a team around you and who do you have right now in your team? Or is it, are you running everything or do you have employees yet? And what is that like now? And where do you see that growing to? I definitely want to hire more employees. I want to hire someone full-time, especially to help me more with the design, the client-facing aspect of it. Right now, it's it's pretty much me. And then I have some uh, part-time employees as well. One of them being my sister, which is so nice. She's finishing up design school. So that's so great because she can do my CAD renderings that's and cool. SketchUp. So that's really nice. But I definitely need to build more of a team so I can do more projects at a time. On that note, I'm wondering, you said you you know she can help with that, some of that stuff. And you obviously have a lot of skill. I mean, I've seen your Instagram. It's awesome. Like your, your houses look great. Where do you get your inspiration from? 
I mean, are you like, how do you decide oh, I'm going to do this color, this design, this, cause like you got a very like unique, really cool looking style. What do you get? Oh, at? thank you so much. You know, it's funny because every house feels a little bit different to me. And I like to kind of like if the house has a certain structure and I kind of go off of that, I've done a house where it had a very modern Spanish feel. And so that's, I kind of ran with that, but I definitely like trying new designs. So it's not something that I could make a design for before I have the house. I just, I couldn't do that. And I love traveling. So I get a lot of inspiration from travel and especially with tile patterns Mm. and colors, that type of thing. But I get a lot of inspiration from even restaurants. There's a lot of cool restaurants here and see unique things that I like to implement into my designs. It's cool. So I think it's just fun to try new things. Do you have any advice for Neanderthals like me that just don't (laughs) pick up on that at all? (laughs) Yes, probably just hire, hire you. Just, yeah, hire me. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that, I, that, that idea of if you suck at design or you don't like design. Yeah, there are, there are people out there who that's like their favorite thing in the world to go help you design your property. So like that's one of those roles that should pay for itself like 10 times over. You hire the right person. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you how I've overcome that because I literally feel colorblind a lot of time when I'm doing a rehab. I just know what would look good to me, but I have zero faith until I became an agent and I saw enough homes. And then you just get this generic idea of what to do. But anything outside of those lines, I'm not confident that what I like is what people would like. I ask people when they hear I'm interested in real estate, what you look for is a person who says, oh my God, I love real estate. And I would say, why? And they say, I've always wanted to be a home stager. Mm. Like, why anyone wants to be a home stager never makes sense to me. You don't make any money doing that. That's like the hardest thing to do. But now when I'm like, oh, you're the person that I need to walk through my flip yeah. and tell me what color that should be, what material I should use. I saw you smiled, Kara, when I said, have you come across people that are the same way? No, but I enjoy staging my, my flips. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, there you go. But I would say if you really have no idea what to do, don't do anything crazy. Just keep mm. it simple because... Uh, a lot of home buyers will be able to kind of imagine themselves living there more if it's simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. All right. Well, maybe one of my, my last questions before we kind of move on, I'm wondering about like managing these rehab projects. Can you walk us through kind of your process? Like what does that look like in terms of, do you create a detailed scope of work? Is it, do you use some kind of software for that? Do you just have an Excel document and then do you give the whole thing to a contractor? Like, what does that look like on a, on a broad scale of how you handle it to make sure you're not over budget over time and you get contractors actually giving you good bids? Yeah. So the budget and the timeline are so important to me. So when I'm walking a project with the contractor, once we have the deal, we'll determine a date that's fair for both of us for completion. And this has kind of been something new and it's worked out really well. If we go over that completion date, I'm charging him X amount. It's coming off of his final bid. And then on the contrary, if he finishes early, he's getting bonused out each day that he finished early. So there's an incentive on both ends and that's worked really well. And then as far as budgeting, I pretty much know going into the project, how much I'm going to spend per square foot. So that's based on, the typical finishes that I use and that's kind of evolved. So that also just kind of comes with experience and knowing what things cost, but those are really important. So I'm always staying on budget by doing my Excel spreadsheets and those I just simply do on, on Excel and those are always up to date. Yeah. That's fantastic. 
I'm so glad you mentioned that, that technique about paying them extra when they finish early and having it worked out contractually to where they're going to have to take less for being late. Cause that's the same way that I do it. And I get a lot of people that come to me and they say, cause I'm sure you get the same thing. Help. I'm in up to my neck. The contractor's not returning my calls. It's so horrible. How do I fix it? Uh, it's really hard to fix it now, right. you know, like without going to court, it's better to have set it up in the beginning to where that person said it will take me eight weeks. There's no, it's probably going to be six weeks. Eight weeks is worst case scenario. And they agree in writing right. to, if it goes past eight weeks, I will not charge you for this or for that. And then don't pay them until it's finished. And then on the other side, if they keep their word, pay them extra yeah, bonus them, exactly. give them an incentive to get done. Cause you're saving so much money, not paying hard money that you can literally bonus your contractor and still come out ahead. Right. Right. It's so true. So I tried to do this one time and uh, I mean, I tried, I've done it a number of times, but I, one time in particular, I learned a lesson is that instead of giving them like a charging them a per day, it was like, Hey, if you get done by this date, I'm going to give you a, it was like a $3,000 bonus if you get done by this date. And they didn't get done by that date. So the day after they stopped working on the project and didn't show up for like six weeks, just never showed up again. Cause they, all of a sudden they had no incentive anymore to get it done on time because they lost, they didn't hit their thing. So then I learned, yeah, do the daily thing. Like, Hey, I, I'm going to charge you a hundred bucks per yeah, hundred dollars per day, yeah. either, you know, either direction you get it done faster, you get an extra hundred dollars per day or, or whatever that works instead of a chunk. Cause then they just walked out and that was, that project <laughs> no. took so long. They just would not show up at all because I became the lowest priority in their life. So then you're like, I'm, I'll give you $3,000 just to get back yeah. on my job. I, I, yeah, yeah. I I'm like, all right, let's put another bonus back in, in, in the game. <laughs> like the only way I got them was just like, just nagging them every day. Like, where are you? What are you doing? And you, you would have had to not pay them very much up front yeah. so that they're just trying to get, but usually they want like 50% up front or yeah. something. If that 50% was enough to make them profitable without going back to your job, then yeah, you just entered into this no man's land yep. where you're kind of stuck. Yep. And that actually the other problem with that deal was that I was paying the guy, uh, you know, basically, yeah, a good chunk up front. And then I paid him throughout the project at different benchmarks. So the last final, like, I mean, it was only like it, there was maybe like 20 hours of work left at the end. They just took six weeks to get in that, finish that 20 hours of work just because they had no incentive. So there's only a little bit of payment at the end. And I learned also that lesson is always, you need to be ahead of the contractor, like significantly. So like right. if, you know, he was having what a yeah. thousand dollars at the end, not a big deal when he can go make 12, 12 on a roof. But because he, you know, if he had had $15,000 left, he would have showed up and got that done in two days with, you know, a couple guys and lesson learned. That's a very, yeah. And then see, that's why you're not discouraged because you just looked at it like Jocko would say, lesson you learned. owned it and you recognize, yeah, I didn't set this up the right way. Next time I will. And then you'll be good to go. Yeah, and it's, it is always my fault. Like I, I really believe like every con, and I'm not just saying this because of Jocko or because of extreme ownership or like it, I can literally look back at every single problem I've had with a contractor ever and said that that's my, like I can clearly see where, where's my fault. Yet I still make the same mistakes over and over. So, yeah, it is. I agree. It's always your fault. <laughs> everything, everything else too. I wish that you would let me help you more. That one time we we're in Hawaii and I just took the phone out of your hand and that I'm helps. like, just let me do this. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I, see, now I need to own that. I should do that more because Brandon doesn't want there to you just go. stay lean on You need to just fly out here and it. come help me work on some flips out here. Well, that's why I have Greg Very now. Greg point. is Greg is my like flipping partner and he's like just out there talking to contractors and doing, doing all, all the work that. that I don't, I'm not good at. So it's great. God bless you, yep. Greg. Kara, I want, I want to ask you something because this is just, I've known you for a little while. I think, did we also meet in Nashville or did we know? No, you, we knew each other because you brought value by connecting me with the lender that you thought would help refinance some of my single family rentals, oh, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Okay. I would, I just got scared that that might've been somebody else and that I would have <laughs> stepped in it right there. So that was like a really smart and, and 
cool thing that you did for me. And I, I just emailed him while we were talking to restart that conversation with my uh, assistant, Tanner. But I want to say you are clearly skilled at many things, but one of them is networking. That's, I mean, all the stuff we've been talking about is why you're good at flipping houses, but you are definitely someone you don't spend any money on marketing. You're not trying to figure out some hack to figure out how to get a deal. You're just good with people. Can you share a little bit of how you navigate that road of being likable without being threatening? And like, you know, it's, there's kind of an art form to, to networking and making people like you that people that are listening that want to follow in your footsteps could start working on. Yeah, I think, well, it started on Instagram and just getting to know a lot of people within the same industry. And I, I just think it's fun to help connecting people. So like with you, David, and connecting you with a lender. And I was at a party actually this weekend and someone was talking about, oh, I'm looking to invest in Kansas City. Well, when I was at the Bigger Pockets conference, I met an investor in Kansas City. And so I said, hey, why don't I connect you with this investor? And I just think it's nice to be able to do that for people. So that's so good. I mean, just such a simple thing is like, how can you bring value to other people and connect people? Right. Like if you're just like, yeah. And it wasn't a silly, like, Hey, here's a lender. I heard he does deals. Look him up. Here's his business card, right? You actually spoke to that person, told him what my deal was. He said, yes, I think I can help him. You made a uh, introductory email. Mm -hmm. You offered to help with follow-up. That is the right way to do it. As opposed to, Oh, I heard Brandon's looking at mobile home parks. I found one on Zillow. Let me send him the link to Zillow. Here you go, Brandon. Here's a mobile home park. That there's much less value in that. Right. And I just noticed, Kara, that you are like you're good with like how'd you get a contractor to teach you how to wire an electrical like a can can lighting a recessed lighting? Well, I was paying them hourly specifically to teach me how to do that. <laughs> okay. So smart. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you bring up a good point, David, there about like the, you know, value is not necessarily going on Zillow or going on Realtor, finding a property that's already listed, throwing it to somebody and saying, hey, I found you a deal. You know, we talk about bringing somebody deals. That's a great idea. But I actually I get listings all the time from LoopNet and from some brokers. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I love the heart that people have and that they're trying to help me and they're trying to, to work with me. Mm -hmm. But like then it gets really weird when they want to they want to cut or they want to commission. And, <laughs> the house they they found found on exactly. and I'm like, like, do you want to partner? Let's partner on this together. And I'm like, but I, I don't, I don't need, I don't yeah. need you on this. I already knew about that property. Like now it's weird because now you're going to be mad if I go after it because I already uh -huh. had it in my pipeline. Like I can't prove that to you. Anyway, it's, it's weird. So yeah, we're, but, well, that's why we're giving advice. Cause there are a few more steps, maybe call the listing agent, yep. talk to them. The listing agent says, yeah, it's listed at 500, but we take 425. We need a cash sell. Boom. Now you're now bringing $75,000. Yes. In value that that person didn't have. And that one small step can be a really big difference. And I think Carrie, you probably instinctively understand that better. You'll probably ask questions of the people you're networking with. Well, what are, what's your, what are your goals? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to do? And then you'll go through the database in your brain of all the things that you can offer. And when you say you like connecting people, that's what you're really saying. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. And I enjoy it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you'll get out of it. I think you know, it's, yeah. It's good karma. No, that's so good. <laughs> I mean, no, I think that's, that's such a valuable point. I want, I don't want to gloss over this. I want to spend a minute here is like, you're not networking for a transactional thing. Like networking is right. should not be transactional. And I it drives me nuts when people do that. They're like like, "Hey, I did this thing for you. Now I need you to do this for me." Like and I'm like right. Like this is such a transactional weird thing, like, especially if I don't appreciate necessarily what they did. It could be anybody. Like you just you're like, "I just like connecting people." Like you just have a heart that likes to help people. Yeah. And and long term that will pay and it has paid off for you and it will continue to pay off for you. Yeah. Thank you. That's super yeah, cool. It's good. All right. Well, before we get out of this show, I got a couple more segments I want to get to, including the next segment, the deal deep dive. Deal deep dive. 
Hey, I want to take a quick break from today's podcast to invite you to this week's upcoming webinar, how to make your first 5,000 a month through real estate investing. I mean, yeah, 5,000 is kind of arbitrary, right? It could be three or seven, but my guess is this, five grand a month could change your life. And that's the goal of the webinar. I'm going to be going through three key strategies for getting there, no matter what your financial picture looks like today. Like if you don't have any deals right now, or you don't have money, you don't have experience, don't worry about it. Come anyway, just go to biggerpockets.com slash 5,000, 5,000 webinar. So biggerpockets.com slash 5,000 webinar. See you there. All right. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into one particular property or an investment you've made in the past, a deal you've done, so to speak. So Kara, do you have something in mind that we can pick apart? I do. All right. So let's dive deep into this thing. First question from me, what kind of property is it and where was it located? That's two questions. This but, was you know. a single family home in Scottsdale, Arizona. All right. David? How did you find this deal? I found this deal on Zillow. Oh, okay. So <laughs> find it on Zillow. Yes. How much was the property? Like, what were they asking for it? Okay. They were asking 330,000. Okay. Uh, how'd you, how'd you negotiate that price of 330,000? Okay. Well that I didn't negotiate that price. So that was the list price, 330. And when I walked in the home, I saw that there was well, I, okay, I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a minute. All right. Um, so we purchased the house at 3025. And I actually got to meet the owner of the home and she was from Sweden. And we had just got back from Sweden. And so I think she kind of liked that connection, That's which cool. was really cool. And so, yeah, she accepted our offer at 3025. That's awesome. Which is, is goes back to David's point earlier about you're being good at networking and getting people to like you. Like just like the fact that you had that thing in common, you could talk about it. You brought somehow you connected that those dots and like you had a, you know, that there's such a thing like people love to sell to people they like. That's why I always give that tip all the time. I put it in the book on rental property investing and pretty much I tell everybody it's like if you include a letter with your offer or you somehow make it somehow personal, uh, there's just a good chance that they're gonna be like, oh, I like that person. I'll sell it to them. Yeah. Like, like I've, I've done this kind of like thought process. I'm curious, David, of how you would approach this because you're not a high eye like I am like on the disc profile. But I'm, I'm curious. Let's say you were going to sell a house. And I'll, I'll pose this to both of you guys. You're going to sell a property and the property is, we'll call it $200,000 what you're going to sell it for. It's a flip. You're going to sell it for $200,000 and you get two offers. One is for $200,000. You don't know the person. One is for a $195,000, $5,000 left. And you, you met this person, you randomly stumbled across them, whatever you really like them, like whatever, cute young couple just starting out or whatever the case, you just really like them. How much is that worth to you? When I do that thought experiment, I like to like, would, would I take 195 versus 200? If everything else is the same, would I do it? Hands down, I know I would do it. Yeah. Even though it's like, yeah. what about 10 grand? What about 20? So where's that line? I'm curious about you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, where does it stop? Yeah, where does that line go? Like is 20, like I probably wouldn't take 20 for somebody I liked, but I know I would take five. I'd give somebody a discount of five if I liked them. David, what, what yeah, are you? David's sure. probably like, I charge them more because I like them. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. but I do, it does cross my yeah, mind. Maybe I can make them like me and then they'll pay yeah. more if they like me. Yeah. <laughs> What's your number, David? This is a, it, it's a funny question you asked because at, when I became an agent, I had to literally learn how to be a, a high eye mm. like you, Brandon. It does not come easy, which typically means I've become better at teaching it because it wasn't natural. I had to really like focus on how this works. Um, and, and on my team, this is something I literally teach my agents. Before you ever talk numbers, 
I don't want you to say a word to the other agent until they love you. Uh, nice. Call them, compliment the crap out of their listing, give them credit for the pictures, how they came out. It's marketed so beautifully. <laughs> I'm sure you have 15 offers on this. Like, don't ever even talk business until their ego is just like completely swollen and they love everything about you. Because in this business, like when, like Kara, she's buying from the MLS, she doesn't get to talk directly to the buyers or the sellers. You have to go through their agent. So you have to win over the agent so that the vehicle that this information is coming to the clients through is speaking well about you. Oh, I love this, these people, they're blah, blah, blah. So it's coming across good. And what I found is like, we were talking earlier about how I don't remember what our example was, but when the, when the 60,000, I would never spend 160,000, but 1.7 to 1.8, I would do that. And we learned in psychology that there's like, there's a principle that goes with that, where we will drive across town to get gas. That's three cents a gallon cheaper. Right. But when we're buying a car, we'll throw on an $800 warranty we don't need. Cause right. Like that's just how our brains work. And I think that's part of it. When the seller has a ton of equity in there, that 5,000 doesn't matter. But if they're only going to be making 12 grand versus 17 grand, that 5,000 is a huge ah, deal. Good point. So that's one of the things that I ask before we ever get into the price is like, wh- how much do they owe on the house? What are they really hoping to walk away with? And if the agent's like, they just need to get it sold then I'm going to be super likable. I'm going to have my clients write an amazing letter. We're going to put puppies in it. We're going to do whatever we got to do. Right? <laughs> or if they're like, they just want as much as they can possibly get, then I'll follow up with, well, what kind of a person do they want to see in the house? Are they uh, working professionals and they want the same house to go to somebody else? So I know that I did not answer your question at all, not because all. for me, I probably don't care about the person who buys the house. I'm only going to care about like, you don't think you give a thousand bucks to somebody you really liked, like somebody, uh, just think of like really somebody you liked that you met and you just hit it off with. Well, you don't think you give a thousand. No, you're right. I I would do that. I don't think most people would figure out how to make me like them. I guess (laughs) if I really (laughs) down like like a cover letter, I would just assume you're trying to play in my heartstrings and I wouldn't buy it. It would like make me more guarded. Right. Cause I'm all screwed up inside. So if the person figured out how to make me like them, yeah, totally. I would, do that. But that's a, that's a tip. Like Carrie's good at that. Naturally. Yeah, she would get you to like, she knows she would get to, you to like yes. her and then you'd give her a $5,000 discount. Which is why that's a good skill to have because yes. you're saving money by being likable. Kara, what's your number? $200,000. You get an offer for, for one, for 200, you get one for 195. Would you do $5,000 discount for a, for I would do 5,000 for sure. Yeah. 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 See, I would too. So like get people to like you and you can save $5,000 on your next deal. Like I really believe that. All right. I just, no. I just don't usually meet the buyers. So yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I usually don't either, but if you can just find some way to get them to like you, it's always a great thing. That's well, that's where the yeah. agent really the comes agent, in yes. handy. Cause if their agent can get your agent to like, yep. the, like them, then they're, that agent's going to say, Oh, this couple's amazing. Yes. They love, they're going to butter you up. The design was perfect. They wouldn't change a yep. thing. They think that, you know, Picasso designed this house. Yep. And then now you're like, Ooh, okay. I want to sell to them. Yep. By the way, this was an example, a, a case study of how hosts should not do the uh, deal deep dive because we, we just talked for like an hour. <laughs> We've wandered yes. very far away from, from the concise uh, pattern you started us yeah. off on. Sorry, Karen. Okay. Is it my turn? Uh, next, I don't even remember who asked the last question. Uh, we should let you I think it's ask me. it because you're the host and I'm the, I'm the co-host. <laughs> how did you fund this property, this $302,000 that you needed plus rehab? How'd you fund it? So I funded this with part my cash and then a private money lender. Ah, private money lender. Can you explain that for those who don't know what a private money lender is? So a private money lender is usually someone who knows you. It's a family member. It's a friend. It's someone who putting a lot of trust in you. And, um, and basically I can use private money for significantly less than hard money. So I, we don't usually have, I'm not paying points up front or a percentage of the loan up front. I'm just paying interest. Yeah. Perfect. Great explanation. All right. 
what was the outcome on this deal? Okay, so the outcome of this deal, so the benefit to this project, because it was on Zillow, a lot of investors had walked this home. And after I closed on this deal, someone actually reached out to me and she said, I looked at that property and I could not make those numbers work. So what I did, I noticed that there were 12 feet of side yard, so I could build out 10 feet and do a full addition, the entire length of the house. So this house was marketed on Zillow as a two bedroom, but it was two beds plus an office. So that's an easy third bedroom, add a closet, reframe a doorway. Um, So I had three bedrooms and then we built 820 square feet onto the home. So we added a huge kitchen. So completely moved the existing kitchen to the addition portion and created an interior laundry room, a fourth bedroom, a powder room, and a little dining nook. Wow. So that that was like, what was the rehab budget on that? Her, the, the total rehab budget was 135,000 and we came in at 139,000. Not bad. So that was, that was really good because there were a lot of things that came up. We ended up replacing mm-hmm. the entire duct system and a new AC unit that I wasn't planning on. So yeah, I was really excited to, that was a big project for us. So 4,000 above budget was awesome. And that included holding costs too. That's, that's awesome. So what, like, what was the final profit? I guess, what did you make off it? So that was a, that was a six month remodel. Um, that sold really fast and we made $92,000. Woo. Here's what I love about this story is that it perfectly illustrates this point. I make it on webinars all the time that real estate is so three dimensional, yet new investors get into it and they think it is two dimensional. Like They have like one option, like, oh, it's a two bedroom uh, house. Uh, This is what it sells for. This is what it rents for. Then they apply for rentals, flips, whatever. It's like, this is what it is. This is what it's worth. Yet if you start thinking, well, what if I did this? And what if I did this? And it's one reason I love the bigger pockets calculators and I teach it this all the time. I'm like, well, what if you like, spent 10 grand rehabbing it, then what could you rent it for? What if you spent 30 grand rehabbing it, then what could you rent it for? Or what could you sell it for if you add in a little addition? And that is what in today's market goes to that idea that Dave and I talk about. Today, you don't find good deals. Today, you make good deals. So where nobody else could even find a way to make a profit out of this, you would have made $92,000 off of a deal nobody else could figure out because you're good at the creative, the 3D real estate. Yeah, That's yeah, awesome. your creativity, it's huge. When you're walking into these homes and seeing where you can add value, it's it's really fun. That's cool. And you get that skill from experience, seeing enough deals. Mm-hmm. You get experience from taking action. You take action when you have confidence. And that's why we go back to do what you have to do, learn what you have to learn to get your confidence built up because that's kind of the formula for how to do this well. And now the next time Kara buys a house, she has this whole set of data already in her brain of, well, on this one, we did this. And it won't work exactly on this house, but we could just tweak it this yep. way. And we could make it work. And now her mind spots that opportunity where the person who hasn't taken action doesn't. And that's why it's so important. Like that's why exactly why we're pulling this out of you. So, and that's, those are the same strategies that I use care. I'm always like, okay, this house is smaller than every other house in the neighborhood. How do we make it bigger? How do we add square footage? You would never do that if every house was already, they're all the same size. It didn't need to be. Or if there was a limit on how expensive those houses sell for, it's never going to sell over 110. It doesn't matter how big it is, but that works really good in the market you're in. Yeah, for sure. And then on that house, it's funny too, because I staged it and then the, the new owners bought all of the staging, <laughs> all, all of my staging stuff because they were going to Airbnb the house. <laughs> That's cool. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's Great job. Okay. So what lessons did you learn from this deal? 
I think the main lesson I learned was really the value of adding square footage because it cost me, I want to say it was about $120 a square foot to do that addition, but then I sold it for $255 a square foot. So you can see where that profit margin mm -hmm. is. And I didn't realize the huge benefit of, of adding square footage until that house. I talk about that a lot in the Burr book, that that's something you factor into your equation when you're looking to buy a house right. is what's the price per square foot to build and what's the price per square foot when you sell. And the delta between them would be, you know, your profit margin. And, and what you want is areas like yours in Scottsdale with very big discrepancies in home prices. Right. You want a lot of a difference. You don't want every house to be a track home. That's like, it's harder to make that work in an area like Las Vegas or maybe Phoenix where they have these neighborhoods that are all just track homes are all the same thing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to sell for more than the house next door. Yeah, that's true. We have a lot of track homes in Scottsdale too, but the areas that I like to invest in, it's the older ones. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're old yeah. and they have more character mm -hmm. and more differences. Yep. Right. The lot sizes are different. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. This is some high level stuff. Thank you, Kara, for You're sharing welcome. this. And then also just the importance of, again, having your spreadsheet and constantly updating it. There's no way we would have come in at 139,000 for that, for that rehab. If that spreadsheet wasn't constantly updated yeah. because as we're getting towards the end, I'm thinking I can't spend this on a chandelier mm. or whatever it is. I have to cut back because we've spent a little too much in other areas. Yeah. So. Do you have literally like a number and every time you spend money, it subtracts from that number. Like you're watching a countdown as you get closer to zero. No, but I should do that. I should do it that way. I was just no, thinking. Yeah. So no, they're all like color coordinated and basically I have my budget, but then I'm just adding everything up. So I know exactly where I'm at, but I like that. I was thinking if you were having to watch, like I have 30 grand left yeah. and I still have to do this, <laughs> that when you're tempted to make the decision that it would be fun, yeah. but not financially wise, it would, it would impact you emotionally. Like, no, I don't have enough room in there. I won't do it. As opposed to when you're just throwing expenses in a, in a it's easy to justify it. That's true. Where I always fail at that is I'll go like, well, I know it wasn't in the budget, but I could probably get a little bit higher price if I do this. And that is a very yeah. deadly game to play because usually I just lie to my, I'm just lying to myself because I want to do those you know, that travertine tile. Yeah. And really, I don't get another penny out of the house. It's going to sell for the same price. So, and you're not basing it on any form of objective no, yeah, reason. Just, you yeah. just tell yourself that. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. That's, that's actually a very good point to like, that's how people get in trouble is they start justifying things in their head for no reason at all. Your brain doesn't always that's help true. you. That's funny. All right. You want to move us along? Well, Brandon? Let's move along. Next segment of the show. It is our fire round. Fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, these are the questions that come direct from the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to fire them at you real quick here, Kara. Let's go here. Number one from Jonathan in Scotts Valley, California. What do you think of the Redfin, Zillow, Realtor.com, et cetera? As a real estate investor, what is the best way to use these tools, these online portals? Like, how do you use them? Oh, that's a good question. I use them a lot. So even if I have, for example, um, this just happened. So a wholesaler sent me a listing, which is not on the market because it's, uh, it's a wholesale deal. So I pulled it up on Zillow because I can quickly see what other homes are listed for. And I can even go in and see what other, other homes have sold for really fast. So I think that's a good way to use Zillow. And yeah. then also you can set up different searches. So you're getting emails of criteria of your criteria into your inbox as well. There you go. And I think 
Right. I was gonna say as Zillow grows, like I got to deal one time on Zillow just because somebody just went and made a listing because they didn't even realize like that the right way to do it is to go get a real estate agent. They just see so many commercials for Zillow. They're like, oh, I guess I'm gonna sell my house. I just put it on Zillow. So they just went and put it on. They, they went there. Oh, list my home, and they just put it for sale on Zillow. And like, yeah. it was just a for sale by owner basically. So I went and bought it. So. Yeah. yeah, nobody else saw yeah. it. So you didn't have any competition. Exactly. They didn't have anyone representing yep. them. So I'm looking you, at a really good house right now. And it's also a for sale by owner that yeah. I found on Zillow. There, so yeah, there you go. That that I found, I was just driving this neighborhood that I liked. So I put on my navigation on Zillow. Mm-hmm. So it tracks where I'm at. And that's Ooh. how I found it. That's awesome. Very yeah. good. All right. Next question is from Andre in Korea. Very cool. From Seoul. When you're negotiating, do you have a problem offering full asking price right away? If you know the numbers will still work. Or do you hesitate because you're giving up leverage and might be leaving money on the table? I would have a hard time offering full price. I think it's just a mind game. Even if the numbers worked, I would try to get it for less. Because you always make your deal when you're buying the house. So just in case your budget went over, I would rather, I just want to get it as low as I can. Does that change if the house has been on the market for five days and you're looking at it thinking that price is like, is really good already? I would still offer a little bit less just to get the conversation started. And then see what they counter you yeah. at. Gotcha. What about you, Brandon? Uh, it depends on how long it's been on the market. So my kind of rule of thumb is if it's like this, the week of, and it's a really good deal at the asking price, then I'll probably go in at asking price. Cause I know there's going mm-hmm. to be multiple offers. Uh, if I know that if it's been on the market a while, the longer it's been on the market, the lower price, the more like aggressive yes. I'm being on it. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Because I know where I work in the Bay Area, if you offer asking price at a house that's been on for five or seven days, the agent might not even return your call. Mm-hmm. There's just an expectation here that it's going to sell for more if it's a good looking house. So they factor that in. But yeah, every market's different. Okay, you got another yeah, market. It's true. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question from Robert M-U-Z-Y-K-A in a real estate agent from Plano, Texas. I'm doing my first flip in quarter one of 2020 using hard money. Do you recommend... And I'm not going to necessarily ask you for a recommendation here, Kara, because it's an LLC question. It's like a legal question, but I'm wondering what you do. Do you do loans in your own name in an LLC or in a corporation? What do you, what do you do on your flips? I do all of my LLC. I do all of my flips in an LLC. All right. Mm, Good. Me too. I didn't used to, but now I do. What about the houses that you refinance to keep as a burr? They're in an LLC. Same thing. Yep. Have you found a hard time getting a loan with properties held in an LLC? Are you still getting like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac financing? Well, no, because all of my properties, I, since I've only been doing it for two years, I still don't have two full years of tax returns. Mm. So right now I still have to use private money, my own money or hard money. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So maybe that'll be a better question to answer once you're at the point that you can refinance them into a cheaper loan, then you'll have learned how that works. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to get a lender or somebody on the line that can actually answer that or a uh, like a lawyer maybe because this comes up so often and I think it's a complex question. All right, last question from me from Eli Gilbert in Cleveland, Ohio. Do you have a formula for how much profit you want to aim for in your rehabbing? Obviously, the numbers should change depending on the size of the deal and the risk, but what's typical for you? And I think by rehabbing, he meant when you're flipping a house. So I don't have a formula for that. I will only do a house if I'm making minimum, minimum $20,000. And that's, that would be like bare bones minimum for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that's like a deal where you don't have to put very much of your money in. There's very little risk. It's like, get in, get out real fast. Yeah. That would be a super quick flip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And then if you have to put more money in, or if it's a, a more risk involved, like it's a longer project, that's when your profit margin starts to grow. Right. Right. And gotcha. actually, usually the bigger the risk, the bigger the, re- the bigger my profits are. So yes, you know, the, Good point. this brings up something interesting. Um, I've never really put a lot of thought in this. I'm going to kind of work through this in my head right now as we're talking live, but there's a lot of areas of our life where we say we don't have a rule of thumb yet or we don't have a formula yet. We all, we actually do. Uh, and so what I mean by that, and I'm the same way, cause if I, when I think about it, when I really think about it, I would not do a flip in Maui where I have to go invest $800,000 for 20 grand. I would right, for a no. hundred grand. Would I for 50? Would I for 40? Somewhere in there, like whether or not we've communicated it to our, our subconscious, to our conscious, we have a formula that we are abiding by. And we do this with all sorts of things in our life. And so I was just thinking about how like, one of my, I guess, well, one thing I'm going to really work towards and you're here in the new future and like starting right now that I say this is formulating or formalizing, is that a word? Formalizing those unwritten formulas so that other people then can give go or no go, you know, uh, like mm. other people like an assistant in charge. Right. Yes. So that way I like, if you come to me and you like, you say, you know, Hey, I got this flip. Like, I just, I know there's a rule in my head. I just, rather than me trying to kind of think about it emotionally, it's like, no, does it make a 20% blah, 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 blah. And and when you really, if you were to spend five minutes, I bet, Carrie, you'd come up with a formula that actually you probably abide by. And David, you probably do too. We just don't think of it. We just inter- internally do it. Yeah. Well, what happens is you have that formula deep in your mind, yeah. but you're not aware of it. So what happens is someone poses a question and your gut tells you yes or yeah. no, but you don't know what it's using to come up with that. You just know you follow it. And what you're describing, Brandon, is a brilliant business tool is you get what is in your head out of your head. Yeah. So it's not a gut thing. Otherwise they have to bring it to you because you're the only one that has your gut feeling. Yeah if you create a, a, a process or a standard or a formula and you give it to somebody else, now they can answer that question for you. And you can almost get yourself out of it. What if you're tempted to do a deal because you haven't done one in two months and your ego feels bad? Well, they don't have those issues. So they're not going to do the bad deal. That's a very good thing that you're pointing out because that's what smart business people do is they, they translate a gut feeling into something that can be articulated. They pass that off to someone else and it becomes delegated. And I'll bet you if we talk to Carrie next year or two years from now, when she's been growing her team, this is all that she's going to talk about. I knew how to do it, but now I had to figure out how to teach somebody else how to do it. That was hard. That's funny. I like this. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to post some more thought in this and this is probably going to be a video on bigger pockets sometime soon. Cause yeah, if we can take these things out of our subconscious and put them into, into mm-hmm. a formula or into a rule of thumb, you can get other people making decisions that you would agree with and uh, mm-hmm. less work. Well, anyway. That's true too, because that it helps for you to step out of your business yeah. too. You know, when you have a, a formula, you can teach someone how to look at deals for you and present them yeah. in a way where it makes sense for your formula. Yeah, so true. And you have less of a chance of letting emotion get involved and you doing something right, stupid, right. being like, well, yep. you know, my gut says this is going to be a good one when really it's just because you really like the kitchen and uh, you, <laughs> yeah. your gut's teaching you, you know, it's lying to you. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, really the numbers work on this. The kitchen's cute. Like, so anyway, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, that, was a good, that was a good topic. I don't know why we, I don't think we've ever talked about that on the show before, but that's smart. Now I know there are a lot of people at home going, elementary, elementary. <laughs> All right. That is the end of the fire round. Let's head over to the one last segment of the show. It's our world famous. Famous four. All right. This is the part of the show where we ask you the same four questions we ask every guest every week. But before we do, let's hear from Jay Scott to see what's going on this week over on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. 
Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets real estate podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott, your co-host for the Bigger Pockets business podcast. And this week on the business podcast, we have serial entrepreneur and outsourcing expert Nathan Hirsch. Nathan tells us all about how he was able to build several eight-figure businesses without ever hiring a local employee. And he tells us how we can do the same. So if you want to learn how to effectively outsource in your business, tune in this week to the Bigger Pockets business podcast. Now, Back to your famous four. All right, big thanks to Jay from the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Now it's time. I just, I like this. Uh, now it's time for the famous four. Number one, Kara, what is your current favorite real estate related book or a book that's made a big impact on you? My favorite real estate book is Rich Woman by Kim Kiyosaki. Ah, cool. So that is Robert Kiyosaki's wife. I have not read dad, that. Poor dad. Should I, I read that? I would have read that. <laughs> Is that why you're so terrible at being a rich woman, Brandon? You ever read the book? <laughs> I've been wondering uh, when you're yeah. going to step your, that side of your game I'm going to work on that. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Anyway, very cool. Yeah. I actually, I have seen the book in the number of times I thought I should read that because like, I'd probably learn yeah, like, it's, a lot it's of It's interesting stuff. because it, she kind of talks about how they started also, but it's in a very different perspective. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Awesome. All right. What about your favorite business book? Uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Love that. Yeah. All about the mindset. So that's a great one. How about some of your hobbies? So I like doing anything active. I love working out, hiking, biking, boxing, you name it. Cool. And I love traveling. So yeah. If you and I were boxing right now, I have zero skill Uh in boxing. None. I've never done (laughs) it in my entire life. But I'm six foot five. I'm like six foot awkward, right? And I got a long reach. <laughs> Who would win? You or me? You have skill. I don't know. I've got size. I don't know. I know how to dodge. So mm. I don't know. It might be might be tough. Yeah. I think most people that don't practice combat sports just completely underestimate how ex- extremely fatiguing it is. <laughs> Right. Like Brandon is asking the question of who would win. And I'm thinking in my head, if you just didn't get knocked out for the first 60 seconds, he'd probably be so gassed that you could just like wait for him to fall and step on his head. Yeah. It's just so much. It's so hard. Cause didn't you tell Jocko you're going to start doing, I, I'm actually going today today. Well, for those who listen to the Jocko podcast, we did the Jocko willing podcast. Uh, he called, he called me out on it and said, I had to go do it this week. So today is Monday. I'm recording this on a Monday and I said, I would do it on Monday. So I'm going tonight. Uh, and just to give you a quick, yeah, you know, extreme ownership, type thing. Uh, he, you know, I told him I was going to do it Monday though. I looked up this weekend, the gym I was going to go to or the dojo or whatever closed here. So now I got to (laughs) drive because I said I was going to do it. I'm taking ownership of it. I'm not going to let anything stop me. So I got to drive like twice as far and go to another one that I don't even know what it is or anything about it but I'm doing it tonight. Had a baby BT. It's very tiring. Just be prepared for that. So Kara, once (laughs) I've done a few uh, months of uh, BJJ, then you and I will go head to head with some boxing. Okay. I don't know sounds if I'm going to learn how to box, but maybe the skills will come in handy. All right. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Number four, what sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or just never get started? So I don't necessarily think there's one thing. I think there's a few things that attribute to success. And the first is definitely being your mindset. I think your mindset is everything. So you have to be willing to accept change no matter how uncomfortable that may be. And you have to be willing to accept failure because it's bound to happen. And you also have to always want to be learning. Anytime I have some downtime, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm listening to audiobooks. Even when I'm working out now, I'm 
rather than listening to music, I'm listening to something educational. Yeah. And the second, I would say it's also knowing and acting upon your risk tolerance. I think mm. simply by acknowledging what your personal risk tolerance is, you're going to realize that you could probably take more of a risk than you're currently taking and then to reevaluate that constantly. If you look at any successful entrepreneur, business owner, anyone who's found success in real estate, their mindset along with their risk tolerance has grown immensely from when they first started. Yeah, so and good. then third, I would say it's being persistent. No matter how small these steps are that you're taking, if you're being persistent and taking those steps towards your goal, you will win. Mm. It's perfect. Beautiful. That's very nice. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating show and I think people got a lot out of it. So thank you for doing such a good job, Kara. For people that want to know more about you, where can they find out more? They can check out my Instagram. It's Beckman House. And I'm also on the Bigger Pockets. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Kara, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. And I would encourage everybody to go out and follow Kara because uh, she's awesome and her Instagram is awesome. So follow her there. And uh that's all I got. So Kara, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. That was it. That was awesome, Kara. Very, very good. Oh, thank you. All right. And that was our show with Kara Beckman. Awesome, awesome show. Make sure you guys are following her over on Instagram. Beckman House. Beckman House. Thank you. I was looking forward here. Beckman House on Instagram. She has a great Instagram and uh, she's just a super cool lady. So very, very thankful for her yeah. today. We told you guys it was going to be a good episode and it was a very good episode. Uh, make sure you're following her. And uh, by the way, if you want to hear Brandon's video that he said he was going to make regarding how to take your gut instinct mm. and turn it into a formula, check him out. He's Beardy Brandon. I'm going to make one of my own Ooh. at David Green 24 on Instagram. And I want to see which of us can get more views. Nice. So we've no got a little competition here. going on. We're each going to make a video, view it and then like it. Yeah, depending which one you like more. And let's see how much Brandon crushes people. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, have you gotten to the TikTok yet? No, because all the memes I saw about it were making fun of it. Mm. So I thought it was like, you shouldn't do it. Why are you addicted uh, now? It's, okay, so I, I need to make a video about this. Like, it is the most... A video about a video. It's a video. I'm going to make a video about TikTok. It is the most addictive, like, social thing, like, social network ever created. And I had to take it off my phone, just like Instagram, but like, it's worse. It's worse than Instagram. Here's my rant with TikTok real quick. For those who don't know, it's like Instagram, but it's only videos and it's people you don't know. So you're just like swiping through videos and they're funny and they're clever and they're like a lot of middle school humor uh, and a lot of like girls flaunting themselves and guys flaunting themselves. And here's the problem with with TikTok, the biggest problem I have with it. First of all, it's fun. It's very enjoyable and there's a lot of funny stuff on there. But it sets this expectation that like one, if you're a creator of content, you want to go make videos, it like hooks you like cocaine to like, oh, I got to do another video. I wonder if I can do it. Like even in the couple of days I had it, I was like constantly thinking how maybe I can make a video about this and people would like it on TikTok and I'd get more views. Like, so like it changed your brain yeah, chemistry, like it's, how you thought yeah, about things. Yeah, there's like that study they did with like the rats and like the cocaine in their water. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that. They just give you these little things and they're, it's so well programmed to suck you in if you're a creator. And if you're a consumer of content, which we all are, what it does is I think it gives you this false belief. It's like, okay, you know how they say like social media is a high, like your highlight reel of life. Mm -hmm. It's like that about people. So every single person, it's, it's voted up almost like Reddit style where it's like their algorithm shows the top of the top. So- 
everybody on there is super funny, super clever, or super hot. And you're just like, wow. And they're all in cool locations. And it's like this, like, it takes what Instagram and Facebook did and multiplies it by 10. And so you just feel horrible about your life while you're watching it, but you can't stop watching it. That's my rant. Because you only the see the content. Yes. Is it because you only see the content of the top yes, people? Exactly. So you think everybody must That's be this exactly way. It. Whereas with Instagram, you get your grandma's yes. thing or your high school friend who never did anything. So there's a little bit of reality yep. mixed in there. But with TikTok, it's, it's just perfectly like perfectly engineered to get you sucked in and to think that you're missing out on all oh. these great things. It's, 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 it's crazy. So it's like, it's like heroin with no cutting <laughs> agent. You're just getting raw, terrible drug. Yes. Into your Consistently. Brain. People are like, I bet you if they did studies and they probably will, I bet you people who consume TikTok regularly are going to have like, I don't know, mental problems. Cause it's like, and you just asked me if I'm on yeah. there. Like, did you just <laughs> offer me drugs on, on the podcast right now? I was wondering, cause it's been like consuming my life for the last, like, probably a week. I had it on for my phone for a week. Mm. And like, I literally like, well, like every time I have like two seconds downtime, I'll pull it up. Cause it's so addicting. I had to take it off my phone. Cause I'm like, I can't. Yeah. Anyway, crazy okay. TikTok. So stay away from TikTok. Follow us on Instagram where it's safe. Yeah. You'll get good content, you go. not hyped up, you know, drug abusive. Yeah. I content. bet if we put this conversation and on TikTok, it would do really well. We should do that. I'm going to put it on right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See what I mean, though? I wonder I wonder if it would. That's actually I very interesting. I thought about making a video called Why TikTok is Dangerous. I bet it would go viral. Go viral. But then what does that matter? Like, you reach 20,000 people one day, and, like, next day your life still sucks. And so, like, that's the problem with TikTok. It's, like, it makes you feel well, like you're like accomplishing going to something. The- it's like going to the trap house where everybody's doing drugs and giving them a presentation on why drugs are yeah. bad. Like <laughs> it might, People would not listen. Be, might not matter, yeah. right? Yeah. They'd listen, but would it help? Cause you're on that. Cool. Yeah. That's funny. All right. Well, anyway, that's what I All got. Right. That's- thank you very much, Brandon. <laughs> and thank you, Kara for, uh, I know we just completely took this on a well, rabbit trail from a very the, big rabbit trail the episode, but that was good stuff. Like, see guys, you don't just get real estate. You get life, life advice, advice here from, from Uncle Brandon Turner, <laughs> uh, trying to protect, prevent you guys from getting yep. into to psychological drugs. Yep. So thank you very much. Please uh, go sign up to get some uh, more information with Bigger Pockets webinars. Comment on what you guys liked about the show on our Instagrams. You can uh, message me there. That's a good way to get a hold of me. Oh, and today's pro deals. Our spotlight, Ooh, our yes. pro deal spotlight today, it. Cam Vangercove, I think it's how you say the last name, just closed his first property in Rochester, New York. It's a duplex, two bedroom on the bottom unit, two bedroom on top unit, bought it for $172,000. And yes, house hacked it with a 3.5% down payment FHA loan. And uh, his tenants actually cover all but a hundred bucks. So he's living for a hundred dollars, which is cool. And here's what I actually love. I really love about his deal. He did it with a partner and they're kind of like sharing the two bedroom unit upstairs. So really he's actually only living for like 50 50 bucks a month, which is super clever. So congratulations to Cam and all of our pro members who are doing deals and posting them over on the site. You guys are awesome. And if you want your chance of being featured here on the Bigger Pockets podcast, email podcast at biggerpockets.com and put the word pro deal in the subject line. Again, podcast at biggerpockets.com. Put the word pro deal in the subject line. And with that, David, why don't you get us out of here? Thank you very much. This has been a great time. This is David Green for Brandon. TikTok Turner signing off. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. 
If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.